Well, Saints, for those of us, uh, I'm sorry, is my microphone on? Yes. It's on now? Okay. Uh, for those of us who haven't been with us, this weekend we've been talking about the need for a new revival. The need for a new revival. And uh, when we talk about a new revival, we're not talking about the revivals in Christianity. We're talking about a revival that will change this age. Amen. From the age of grace to the age of the kingdom of a thousand years. Amen. We're talking about a revival that will bring the Lord back. Amen. So we are here in the recovery to be his bride to bring him back. Amen. That's what we're here for. The recovery is for preparing the bride of Christ. Amen. When the bride is prepared, the Lord will return. Amen. So this meeting this morning is for preparing us more to be the bride of Christ. Amen. So that he will, he will be that closer to coming back. Amen. Now we saw that there are three aspects of the new revival. Uh, one is reaching the highest peak of the divine revelation. Two is living the life of a God-man. And the third aspect will be on this morning is shepherding according to God. Amen. And saints... Um, I want us to see this. We covered this uh, maybe in the first message, but uh, I want us to see that the three aspects of the New Testament ministry bring in the three aspects of the new revival. With the New Testament ministry in 2 Corinthians 3.8, you have the ministry of the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 3.9, you have the ministry of righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5.18-20, you have the ministry of reconciliation. Well, with the ministry of the Spirit, uh, Paul said this. He said this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3.3. He said, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ. Saints, we are a letter of Christ. You are a letter of Christ ministered by us, inscribed not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tablets of stone, but in tablets of hearts of flesh. That means we are being, under the New Testament ministry, we are being inscribed with divine and mystical ink, with the spirit of the living God, with Christ as the content. That means we are being Christified. That's the highest peak of the divine revelation, is for us to be Christified. The Lord raised up Martin Luther to recover justification. He raised us up to recover Christification. We are here to be Christified, to be exactly the same as Christ in life, nature, appearance, and expression, but not in the Godhead. So the way he does that is by inscribing himself as the Spirit of of the living God on our soft hearts with Christ as the content to Christify our hearts, our mind, emotion, will, and conscience. Eventually, he invades our mortal body. Our mortal body is swallowed up by life. We're glorified, and our spirit, soul, and body is exactly the same as God in Christ in life and nature, but not in the Godhead. Isn't that wonderful? That's what the New Testament ministry does. Then in 2 Corinthians 3.9, we have the ministry of righteousness. And this is the God-man living, because the ministry of righteousness is the living out and genuine expression of Christ. The living out and genuine expression of Christ. So, uh, when we're under this ministry, 
Saints, just consider your experience before you came in the church life, after you came in the church life. After we came in the church life, we began to have the living out and genuine expression of Christ in our lives. Now, we realize we have a long way to go. But to a certain extent, we live out Christ. And we aspire to live out Christ. We aspire to have the living out and genuine expression of Christ in our lives. This is subjective righteousness. This is the ministry of righteousness. This is living the life of a God-man. Now, shepherding according to God is in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20, where it says, We are ambassadors of Christ. Saints, this is the highest profession in the universe. You are an ambassador of Christ. And the local churches are the embassies. Are the embassies. And our country is the new Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. That's from Hebrews 11. Anyway, it's in Hebrews 11 that our country is the new Jerusalem. So anyway, we are ambassadors of Christ with the ministry of reconciliation. And when we preached the gospel to people, uh, before we were saved, we were enemies of Christ. When we preached the gospel to people, we turned them from enemies of Christ into friends of Christ. Into friends of Christ. And they are reconciled to God, out from the world, into the tabernacle to a certain extent. But that reconciliation doesn't stop there. Because Paul tells the Corinthians, yes, you've been reconciled to God to a certain extent, but I want you to be reconciled to God all the way into the Holy of Holies, all the way into your spirit to where you are people living in your spirit. So, saints, all of us in this room, we need shepherding to be reconciled to God. Don't you need to be reconciled to God this morning? And we we need shepherding for that. Paul, you know, Paul didn't say, go forward to the Holy of Holies. He said, come forward to the Holy of Holies. That meant he was in the Holy of Holies. He didn't say, go forward. He said, come forward. That means he was there. So when he said, be reconciled to God, that meant he was already reconciled to God and that there was nothing between him and God. So we need to shepherd people according to God, according to the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, now, before we get into the outline, saints, um, I have some points that I wrote down about the New Testament ministry that I would just like to read to you so that we can appreciate the ministry that we're under. Uh, You know, the Lord's recovery brings us back to the unique ministry of the New Testament. And this unique ministry has some characteristics that I would like to read to you. Uh, Isn't it wonderful that we we have been brought back to the New Testament ministry revealed in the Bible. And this New Testament ministry will bring in a new revival that will bring the Lord back. Well, let me read to you some of these points. Uh, The New Testament ministry, firstly, ministers the healthy teaching of God's economy. Isn't that wonderful? When you're under the New Testament ministry, it ministers the healthy teaching of God's economy and it wars the good warfare against the different and strange teachings of the dissenters with the strange fire of man's natural enthusiasm, natural affection, natural strength, and natural ability. So when we are under the New Testament ministry, we are under the ministry of God's eternal economy. 
When I was on my way to Russia uh, in 1993, I was sitting next to a man, and I said, what are you going to Russia for? You know, 1993, it was still the wall had just come down, and uh, it was uh, Russia was in bad shape then, in bad shape. If you, uh, if you got a piece of bread and you threw it at someone and hit them in the head, you could knock them out with a piece of bread. I mean, the bread was so stale. And uh, the best restaurant in Moscow was McDonald's. That was the best restaurant in 1993. And so, uh, uh, okay, anyway, I asked him, <laughs> I asked him, what are you going to Russia for? He said, I'm an economist. I'm an economist. He said, when, when Russia collapsed, uh, their economy collapsed also. They tried to switch from a communistic system to a capitalistic system right away. And as a result, their economy collapsed. I said, oh, that's very interesting. I said, do you know anything about God's economy? He said, God's economy? What is that? God's economy. So I got to share with him God's economy. It's really wonderful, really wonderful. Praise the Lord. Okay, the second thing is the local, the, the ministry, the genuine ministry produces the local churches as the golden lampstands to be the testimony of Jesus with the same essence, appearance, and expression. So all the local churches in this area were produced by the New Testament ministry. Isn't that wonderful? All the local churches in this area came out of the New Testament ministry, and they are the testimony of Jesus. Now, the third thing, the New Testament ministry builds up the one body of Christ by the one spirit, perfecting all of us into the oneness of the triune God. It perfects all of us into the oneness of the triune God. All the gifted persons were given for the perfecting of the saints under the work of the ministry, under the building up of the body of Christ. When you put that together with John 17, it says that we are being perfected into one in the glory of the triune God. So the New Testament ministry perfects us into oneness, into the divine oneness. Now, uh, let's see. The fourth point is this. This comes from Psalm 45. This is really good. And I'd just like to read these to you. It'll be on the... You, you, you won't maybe not get them now, but it'll be on the... The CD, right? I don't know what what other things you have here. MP3s, right? It'll be on MP3. It'll be on CDs. It won't be on a cassette tape. Those are those are over, you know. But anyway, uh, it'll be recorded so you can listen to it. Okay. The New Testament ministry prepares the overcomers to be Christ's bride, His queen. In Psalm 45, the the believers become the queen of Christ. And the New Testament ministry prepares us to be his queen in himself as the royal abode. He is our royal abode for us to abide in. And in the local churches as the palaces of ivory. The local churches are the palaces of ivory to consummate in the New, in the new Jerusalem as the king's palace as the king's palace. That's all from Psalm 45. Okay, now the next point. The New Testament ministry betroths us to Christ 
stirring up our love for him in the simplicity and purity toward Christ to make us his queen. So the New Testament ministry, we saw this in a, in a previous message, it always betrothes us to Christ. And another point, the, minister, the ministry of the New Testament strengthens us to follow Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings on the pathway to glory, the way of the cross, for the manifestation and multiplication of life. This is why Paul said, death works in us, but life in you. Amen. In other words, we apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, we are under the death of the cross. While we're experiencing the death of the cross, life is being released from us. So death operates in us, but life in you. But life in you. Now, uh, when Paul was describing his ministry, he could have said a lot of things to prove that he was a minister of the new covenant. You might have said, you know, according to our concept, we might think, oh, I held a big campaign, a big gospel campaign. 45,000 people were there. But Paul didn't say that. Listen to what he said here. This is one of his qualifications for being an apostle. He said, The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, guarded the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. And in a basket... I was lowered through a window through the wall and escaped his hands. That is the New Testament ministry. We are all basket cases. We're all basket cases. And if you're going to be a New Testament minister, you need to depend on the saints to lower you through the wall in a basket. That is not a very, you know, you're like this, right? And you're being lowered through the wall. Saints, the church life... We're either in the basket. You know, Paul could have said, I'll just jump. I'll just jump. He would have done that. He would have broken his legs, right? But he didn't do that. He humbled himself to allow himself to depend on the body. That was his one of his qualifications to be a minister of the New Testament. Uh, in the same way, in the church life, we are either in the basket or we're on the other end of the basket lowering the saints down. You know what I mean through the wall uh, so that they can go on with the Lord. Okay, the next point is this. The New Testament ministry dispenses Christ as grace, truth, life, and the Spirit into us for our revelation of Christ, our enjoyment of Christ, and our growth in life that we may be saved in life to reign in life. Then the next point is this. The New Testament ministry shepherds us with the cherishing and nourishing presence of the pneumatic Christ. And we'll talk about that today. The New Testament ministry, whenever you're under the New Testament ministry, you get shepherded with the presence, with the cherishing and nourishing presence of the pneumatic Christ. Now another point. The New Testament ministry tears down hierarchy and blends us into one making us all brothers of Christ, slaves of Christ, and members of Christ to be the one body of Christ in reality. So the New Testament ministry tears down hierarchy. There are no capital B brothers in the body of Christ. All of us are lowercase brothers. There's only one capital B brother among us. 
That is our elder brother, the Lord Jesus. All the rest of us are lowercase, right? We're all on the same level. Now, the next point. The New Testament ministry tears down the high places and exalts Christ alone to make Christ everything in the church. So when we're under the New Testament ministry, it exalts Christ alone to make Christ everything in the church. Isn't Christ everything in the church? That's because we're under the New Testament ministry. Now the next point. The New Testament ministry brings all of us into function to practice the God-ordained way. It brings all of us into function. Just consider, saints, again, this is a miracle to me, that all of us function. All of us function. Especially, well, well, now we're having a ministry meeting. But normally we have a church meeting on the Lord's Day where all of us function. Where all of us function. And that is a great miracle to see a meeting, to see a round table meeting. You know, I've been to a few Chinese feasts, not a lot of Chinese feasts. But they have so many ways to cook beef. And so many ways to cook chicken. And, you know, Kung Pao chicken, uh, garlic chicken, beef with broccoli. And, uh, and they have a round table, a round table. And in the middle of that table is something called a Lazy Susan. Now, if your name is Susan, don't be offended. I don't know why. I don't know why it's called a Lazy Susan. But anyway, it's called that. And so the, the church meetings are a round table meeting where we pass our Christ to one another. Where, where, where Paul, where I want to minister Christ to him, and I just, I just pass my Christ to him. Amen. Then he passes his Christ to Amen. Daniel. You see, then he passes his Christ to this brother, this sister. And we pass Christ to one another. The, new, the genuine church meeting is a round table meeting. Amen. A round table meeting. And it brings all of us into function to practice the God-ordained way. Now, the New Testament ministry also leads us to follow the Lamb wherever He may go for the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom to the whole inhabited earth. To the whole inhabited earth. Finally, the New Testament ministry brings us into a new revival of living out the New Jerusalem and working out the New Jerusalem to gain the reality of the body of Christ as the highest peak in God's economy. So that is the New Testament ministry. Now, uh, saints, now we come to the outline uh, for this morning, and this is shepherding according to God. When we say according to God, we mean according to God's nature, according to God's desire, according to God's way, and according to God's preference. His nature, his desire, his way, and his preference. We don't shepherd people according to, according to our nature, according to our desire, according to our way, and according to our preference. We shepherd people according to God's nature, God's desire, God's way, and God's preference. This is to shepherd people according to God, according to God. Now... Um, Saints, we are going to be shepherded for eternity. For eternity. Have you ever realized that? We're being shepherded in this age, but we will be shepherded for eternity by the Lamb. In Revelation 7.17, 7, 
It says the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and guide them to springs of waters of life. So in eternity, the lamb will shepherd us. Now, saints, just think about this verse. If I were writing this verse, I would have said the big sheep who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd us. But it says the lamb will shepherd us. A little lamb shepherds us. That means he just doesn't come down to our level. He comes down below our level to shepherd us. He's a little lamb. And he shepherds us. Isn't that wonderful? The lamb shepherds us. We're a sheep. Uh, You know, Paul, I think he's a sheep. I don't think he's a lamb. He's a sheep. He's been in the church life for for a while. So he's he's a sheep. But the lamb shepherds this sheep. A young lamb shepherds this sheep. The Lord is a is a young, fresh, vital, living, young, real lamb. Amen. And he is shepherding us to springs of waters of life so that we could drink of the Spirit. You know, when I went to New Zealand, New Zealand is a country of sheep. And uh, if you look at if you go to New Zealand sometime and you look at the, uh, the shepherds and the sheepdogs, there are some sheepdogs that they run around the sheep, and they'll, they'll nip the sheep. Uh, they won't bite the sheep, but they'll, they'll nip at them on their, on their legs to, get them, to gather them together and get them into the sheep pen, and get them into the sheep pen. But there's one sheep, there's one sheepdog, I just couldn't believe this sheepdog. I've never seen a sheepdog like this in my life. He just stared at the sheep. He would go like this. And they would all they would all go like this. And then he would then he would come over here and he would stare at them. And they would go like this. They would go they would go like this. And he stared them all the way into the sheep pen. Now that is not the way for us to shepherd the saints. Don't, don't stare at the saints. That's not the way for us to shepherd the saints. The way, <laughs> the way we shepherd the saints is by cherishing them and nourishing them. We'll see this. But can you imagine that? What a sheepdog. My goodness. My goodness. Now, our saints... Uh, the ministry said this, if we're going to maintain our victory in the Lord, in our daily, daily life, we want to maintain our victory. We had that hymn, praise him, praise him, Christ is victor. He has won the victory. We want to display his victory. We want to live in his victory. If we're going to live in his victory, we need to do two things. We need to live a life of mourning revival. That's number one. Number two, we need to live a life of shepherding others. This is what we need to do. If we're having morning revival every morning, I mean a solid quality, uh, intensified morning revival where we really allow the Lord to touch us and where we really touch the Lord and we have a quality time with Him and then we go out to shepherd others, this is how we maintain our victory. Saints, isn't uh, isn't it our experience that when we shepherd others, we get shepherded. Amen. When you shepherd others, you get shepherded. You get shepherded too. Even if it's a, a young one, a brand new one, you shepherd them, you get shepherded. 
and you get shined on too. They ask you a question and you realize, my goodness, I don't know the answer to that. I need to get into the ministry more, right? So you get shined on, you get convicted, you get cherished, you get nourished just by shepherding. Shepherding is always mutual, always mutual. You know, um, my uh, one of my little boys, when he, uh, he's not, none of my boys are little anymore, but one of my little boys, when he was little, and he felt that I needed some shepherding, he would bring me a can of Coke. He'd say, here, Dad. I'd say, oh, thank you. I, I won't say his name. I hope it would be on tape. Anyway, I'd say, thank you. And my wife would say, get that Coke away from your dad. Get that Coke away from your dad. But anyway, he had a desire to shepherd me. That was his heart, you know. He knew that, well, anyway, he knew that, that I would like that, you know. Regretfully, you know what I mean. Regretfully. Regrettably. Uh, but uh, we all need shepherding. And we all need to shepherd one another. From the oldest to the youngest, we need shepherding. We need shepherding. Uh, anyway, I'll just say that much. Now, uh, in Psalm 22 through 24, this is a particular cluster of Psalms. Psalm 22 through 24. Psalm 22 is on the, the uh, overcoming death and church-producing resurrection of Christ. His death was an overcoming death, a life-releasing death. His resurrection was a church-producing resurrection. That is Psalm 22. Psalm 22. When you come to Psalm 24, you have the king coming back in his kingdom. Christ as the king coming back in his kingdom. Well, what connects this Christ's death and his church-producing resurrection in the past with his coming back as the king in his kingdom is Psalm 23. And what is Psalm 23? Psalm 23 is a psalm on shepherding. So shepherding is what will bring the Lord back as the king to this earth. We all need to enter into the reality of Psalm 23. You know, uh, I've enjoyed Psalm 23 so much these days. Uh, it's just been with me very much. Uh, of course, it begins, Jehovah is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. Amen. Let's say that together. Jehovah is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. So we don't lack anything because he's our shepherd. Then it says he makes me lie down in green pastures. When you get up in the morning, say, Lord, make me lie down. That doesn't mean physically, right? But that means you want him to, you want him to make you lie down in green pastures so that you can feed on Christ as the green pastures. Then it says, He leads me. Now notice, He's leading us beside waters of rest. Those waters of rest are the consummated spirit for us to drink. He leads me beside waters of rest. He restores my soul. To restore our soul means He transforms our soul. He revives our soul. This is His shepherding. He restores our soul. He transforms our soul. He revives our soul. Then it says, He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. This means He guides us, according to Romans 8, 4, He guides us to walk according to the Spirit on the paths of righteousness. When you walk according to the Spirit, 
The righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in you automatically. So when he guides us, when he guides us on the paths of righteousness, he is guiding us to walk according to the Spirit, so that the righteous requirements of the law will be fulfilled in us automatically. Then it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I do not fear evil, for you are with me. Isn't that wonderful, saints? He is with us. That makes all the difference. He is with us. He is with us. You know, uh, there's a story. It might be in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, there was this one uh, person who was going to be martyred. Another, another brother came to visit him. And the one brother said, he said, I'm afraid that I'm going to deny the Lord tomorrow when I'm going to be martyred. I'm afraid. Because I put my hand in the flame and I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. So, uh, so they prayed together. Then the next day, he was being led out to be martyred, and his face was shining. His face was glowing. And he looked at the brother in the crowd, and he said, He is here. He is here. You see, if he is here, you have everything. He is here. You have everything. So it says this, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I used to think many, many years ago, when it says your rod and your staff, I used to think the rod was for beating the sheep. But the rod is not for beating the sheep. The rod is for beating the wolves. The rod... <laughs> Don't think the rod is for beating... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shepherd my roommate and... You know, don't do that. The rod is not for beating the sheep. The rod is for beating the enemy. The, the staff is for sustenance. The staff is for, is for leading. The staff is for uh, comforting. The staff is for guiding. Is for guiding. But the, but the rod is for beating away the enemy. It's for beating away the enemy. Then he says, You spread a table before me in the presence of my adversaries. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now this is verse 5. In verse 5, you have the entire triune God. You spread a table before me in the presence of my adversaries. That is Christ the Son. Christ the Son is the reality of that table. And he says, you anoint my head with oil. That is God the Spirit as the anointing oil to anoint our whole being with himself and all the ingredients of his person and work. And it says, my cup runs over. That is God the Father as the source of blessing. There is always something over when we taste our gracious Lord, right? Our cup runs over. Then verse 6 says, and we sang that hymn, it says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me. Now at the beginning of the psalm, it says he leads me. But at the end of the psalm, he's following us. So not only is he leading us, He's following us. He says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me. That is the triune God. Goodness is the grace of Christ. Loving kindness is the love of God. And follow is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So you have the love of God, I'm sorry, the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And these will follow me all the days of my life. That includes today. That includes today, brothers and sisters. 
His goodness and loving kindness is following us today. And I will dwell in the house of Jehovah for the length of my days. That includes today, the next age, and eternity. And that includes today. That includes today. We dwell in the house of Jehovah. The house of Jehovah is Christ. He's the dwelling place of God. The house of Jehovah is the church. The church is the house of the living God. The house of Jehovah is the new Jerusalem. It's the mutual abode of God and man. So we dwell in the house of Jehovah for the length of our days. The goal of God's shepherding is the house of Jehovah. And the house of Jehovah is the union, mingling, and incorporation of the triune God with the tripartite man. That is the goal of God's shepherding. Of God's shepherding. Okay, now, let's come to Roman number one. Now, what we want to see here is that we need to cherish people and nourish them according to two patterns. The pattern of the Lord Jesus and the pattern of the Apostle Paul. The pattern of the Lord Jesus and the pattern of the Apostle Paul. Okay, now Roman number one says, we need to shepherd people according to the pattern of the Lord Jesus in his ministry for carrying out God's eternal economy. So in John 10, 11, the Lord says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. In Hebrews 13, 20, he says, I am the great shepherd of the sheep. In 1 Peter 5, 4, he said, I am the chief shepherd. That means he has many shepherds under him who he allows, if we allow him to live through us, then he will shepherd others through us. Now, A says, the content of God's entire New Testament economy in his complete salvation is Christ as the Son of Man cherishing us and as the Son of God nourishing us. That is a tremendous statement there, brothers and sisters. The content of God's entire New Testament economy is Christ as the Son of Man cherishing us and as the Son of God nourishing us. Now one says, Christ as the Son of Man came to redeem us from sin, accomplishing his judicial redemption through his death. This is cherishing. Now cherishing again means to make someone feel happy, feel comfortable, feel pleasant. If you make someone feel happy, feel comfortable, feel pleasant with your presence, then that opens them up to be nourished by you. You can't nourish someone unless you cherish them first. You cherish them first. I remember I was taking care of some high schoolers, and I prayed for them all the time. And when I really, uh, when I really wanted to cherish them and nourish them, I would take them out for pizza. And so, uh, so I took them out for pizza. I still remember this one time. I took them out for pizza. And one of the brothers said, okay, Ed, what is it now? What is it now? What is it now? But I had the ground with them. I had the ground with them because they knew that I loved them. When the young people know that you love them, you really love them, you have the ground to nourish them. On the cross, the Lord did a great, great cherishing. And there was a centurion there watching all the things he did on the cross. And, uh, of course, one of the things he did was there were two thieves crucified with him on the cross. And uh, the one thief said, if you're the son of God, why don't you save us? And then the other thief, 
Now the Lord is here. So the other thief says to this thief across, you know, across the Lord, and says, this man has done nothing amiss. He doesn't deserve his punishment. But we deserve our punishment. We deserve our punishment. And then he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then the Lord said something wonderful. He said, truly I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. This day, can you imagine? That is a big cherishing. This day you will be with me in paradise. So the first one saved through the Lord Jesus was not a gentleman, but a robber. A robber. So that, that should give us all hope. Right? Uh, anyway... Uh, the centurion was looking at this, at looking at the Lord's cherishing people while he was dying. While he was dying, he was cherishing people. And his death itself is a great cherishing because it's, it's his judicial redemption. But do you remember with his mother, he told John, he said, John, behold your mother. And then he told his mother, behold your son. So he's cherishing them while he's dying. He's cherishing them. And, uh, and the centurion, after he died, the centurion that was watching all this said, surely or truly, this man was the son of God. This man was the son of God. He never saw a man die like that before. Die like that before. So his death was a great cherishing, his judicial redemption. Now, two says, Christ as the son of God came to impart the divine life into us abundantly carrying out his organic salvation in his resurrection. This is nourishing. This is nourishing. So, when he, when he died on the cross, when he resurrected, he came to impart the divine life into us abundantly. He said, I came that you might have zoe, the zoe life, and might have it more abundantly, and might have it more abundantly. So he carried out, out he carried, right now he is carrying out his organic salvation in resurrection. This is nourishing. He is nourishing us right now. And he, the first time he nourished us, we got regenerated in our spirit. Then, then we're being sanctified. We're being uh, set apart under God in our whole being. We're being saturated with God. We're being renewed with God's element. We're being transformed with God's being. We're being conformed to his image. And we will be glorified with his glory in our mortal body. Eventually we will be exactly the same as he is through his nourishing organic salvation. Now beast, as in Luke 15, the Lord Jesus unveiled the saving love of the triune God for sinners. The saving love of the triune God for sinners. You know in Luke 15, 1 and 2, it says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners... We're drawing near to him, to hear him. So he was very approachable. All the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him, to hear him. They weren't running away from him. They were drawing near to him. And it says, The Pharisees and the scribes murmured among themselves, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know what I say to that? Praise the Lord. Amen. This man welcomes sinners and and eats with them. So one says, we need to follow the steps of the process trying God in seeking and gaining fallen people. 
Now in the first parable, you have the parable of a lost sheep. In the second parable, you have the parable of a lost coin. In the third parable in Luke 15, you have the parable of a lost son and a loving father. When this first parable, it says this, Which man of you has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes into his house, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner repenting than over 99 persons who have no need of repentance. So when you preach the gospel and a sinner repents and gets saved, or when you're taking care of a saint who hasn't been around for a while, and they, get rep and they repent and they come back in the church life, there is joy in heaven. There is joy in heaven. And you, and you know, our attitude in our natural man would be, well, I've got a hundred sheep here. I only lost one. I've got 99. I've got plenty to take care of. You know, I don't need to go after this one. Well, eventually there's going to be 98. And there's going to be 97. And there's going to be 77. Eventually you're going to be the only one left. It's just going to go down and you have nothing to do because you didn't go after the one which was lost. So we have to go after the one which is lost. You know, saints, aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus went after you when you were lost? And he did this through, through people. He does this through people. Uh, forgive me if you've heard this story before, but one time when I was brand new in the church life, I was having a very difficult time that day. I couldn't break through the Lord, couldn't pray. And I was going to a prayer meeting in a home. And you know, when you go to a prayer meeting in a home, you can't hide. You can't fake it. You can't just, I'm happy. I wasn't happy. And so I went, I went and I sat in my chair. I knelt. I, I put my head down. Everybody was praying. I couldn't pray. I said to myself, as soon as this prayer meeting is over, I'm out of here. I'm out. I'm out the door. Okay, so it was getting close to the time when it was the last amen. I tried to get out the door. Then there was another prayer. So I had to come back. You know how it is. And someone else prayed. And someone else prayed. And finally, it was the last amen. And I bolted for the door. And this brother, it was almost like he had a rubber arm. He just went... And he grabbed my arm and he pulled me down to the couch. Now, I couldn't fight him. What was I going to do? You know? Uh, he pulled me down on the couch next to him and he said, Ed, I'm so concerned for you. What's wrong? What's wrong? And I don't remember what he said to me, but he saved me that day. And I, to this day, I love this brother to the uttermost. His shepherding saved me. Saved me. He went after the one which was lost. You know? Of course, I was on my way to being lost, right? But he went after me with his rubber arm. <laughs> and he caught me. Okay. Now, the next parable is about the Spirit, God the Spirit. God the Spirit is signified by a woman with a broom, a woman with a lamp, and a woman with a broom. 
and she goes after a lost coin. And it says, what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one silver coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek carefully until she finds it? Now, saints, what this means is this, is that in the eyes of God, we are a treasure to him. Each one of us in this room is a treasure to God. We are a coin to him that's worth a day's wages in ancient times. Uh, then it says, when he, I'm sorry, let, let me go on here. It says, when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy, and this is very real. Listen to this, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner repenting. That means there's joy in God's presence and in the angels' presence when one sinner repents. This is why we need to preach the gospel. Don't you want the angels to be rejoicing? And we want God to rejoice. You know, uh, the first time I preached the gospel to someone, I had just gotten saved, and I began to love the Lord, and I didn't know that you needed to preach the gospel, but I really loved the Lord. So I went to my colleague at work, I had just graduated from college, and I said, Bill, I met Jesus. He said, you met who? I said, I met Jesus. He said, Ed, what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? He, he just, it just didn't compute to him that I met Jesus. Well, a couple weeks later, he invited me to his home, he prayed with me, and he received the Lord Jesus. And I tell you, when I was driving home, I was driving home like in one of those cars where the wheels go up and you just, you're just floating, you know what I mean? I was just, wow. That was just a, a tremendous night, a tremendous night over one sinner repenting. Now, in Luke 15, 17, and 18, you have the story of the prodigal son. Well, due to the spirit seeking sanctification, who's typified by the woman, the prodigal son comes to his senses, comes to his senses. Firstly, he takes his father's estate and he spends it on debauchery and profligate living, on profligate living. And, um, and then eventually, while he's, after he's spent all, a famine comes to the land. The saints, I want us to realize this. When you're praying for someone, uh, sometimes their situation can get worse. And you might think, well, what's the Lord doing? Well, the Lord is making their situation worse so that they'll wake up. So that they'll wake up and return to him. So when he spent all, a famine came in the land. And what happened was, he joined himself to one of the persons of the, of the land who fed pigs for a living. Pigs in, in, the, in a Jewish uh, culture, pigs are unclean animals. So not only was he tending the pigs, he was eating the pigs' food, which was terrible. He was in a terrible situation. And he said, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants abound in bread, but I'm perishing here in famine. I will rise up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you, make me like one of your hired servants. Well, when the prodigal son, when he was returning to his father, the father was looking 
which implies that every day he was looking for the return of his son. This is the implication. The father was looking for his son. When he looked a long way off, he saw his son. You know, if you know someone real well, you can tell who they are by the shape of their... You could tell me a long way off, right? That's Brother Ed over there, right? Well, anyway, if you, if you love someone and know someone, you can tell them a long way off. We saw his uh, wayward son a long way off, and he didn't, he didn't wait for his wayward... The wayward son probably thought, I'm going to knock on the door. The servant's going to answer the door. I'm going to say this speech to my father. Well, the father ran toward him. Saints, if we're in a situation, even as believers, where we, uh, where we backslide or we have a failure, when we rise up and return to our Father, He runs toward us. He runs toward us. And He ran toward the Son, and the Son began His speech. He said, he said Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy to be called your Son. And then He was going to say, Make me like one of your hired servants. But the father interrupted him. The next verse says this, but, I like the word but in the Bible. But the father said to the servants, bring out quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And the best robe signifies Christ as the God satisfying righteousness to cover the penitent sinner. And the ring signifies the sealing spirit. And the sandals signify the power of God's salvation to separate us from this dirty world. But he didn't just stop there. He didn't just stop there. He said, let us, let us kill the fattened calf and let us feast on this fattened calf and let us eat and be merry. Amen. Let us eat and be merry. So uh, this is God's organic salvation here. When we're feasting on the fattened calf, that fattened calf is getting into our being. The life of the fattened calf is getting into our being, and we are eating and being merry. I hope that all of us in this room right now are eating the Lord Jesus. When you eat the Lord Jesus, you can't help but be merry. Now, two says, Are not having the the Father's loving and forgiving heart and the Savior's shepherding and seeking spirit is the reason for our barrenness, our barrenness. Do we have the Father's loving and forgiving heart? Do we have the Savior's shepherding and seeking spirit? If we don't, if we don't have, have these, we will be barren. Saints, this is good utterance. The Father's loving and forgiving heart. The Savior's shepherding and seeking spirit. So three says we need to cherish people to make them happy and to make them feel pleasant and comfortable in the humanity of Jesus, in the humanity of Jesus. Then four says, we need to nourish people to feed them with the all-inclusive Christ in his ministry of three stages in the divinity of Christ. So we need to cherish people, and our cherishing people is for the goal of nourishing them. Always remember, we don't cherish people just to cherish people. We cherish people so that we can nourish people. Cherishing is for nourishing. Now, C says, Christ came not as a judge. Praise the Lord, he didn't come as a judge. But he came as a physician. He came as a doctor. So Mark Allen is here on the front row. He's a doctor. 
Mark Allen is a type of Christ. Praise the Lord. He came not as a judge, but as a physician. And what does a physician do? A physician, well, I think we'll have this a little later in the outline. Uh, but you know, uh, let me just let me just stop here. You know, the church is a hospital. The church is a hospital to heal people. The church is a school to edify people. The church is a home to raise up people. And with the, with the church as a hospital, what makes the physician effective is his love for his patients. I don't know, Mark, if they had a course when you were going to medical school on loving your patients. Did they have a... Not so much, right? And, and most, most physicians, they just, you know, many physicians at least, they just write a prescription and next, next, next. And so there's no love there. But when, there's, when, the, when the physician really loves the patient, the patient has a much better chance of getting better. Has a much better chance of getting better because the doctor loves his patient. When we have a doctor, we have a, a physician who loves us. Who loves us. He heals us, and he heals us through his love, through his love. Now, the same way with a home. The church is a home to raise up people. And as a home, what, what makes a home uh, work is the love in that home, the love in that home. You can have everything in the home being neat, and I'm not saying we should be sloppy, but everything in the home could be neat, it could be in order. If there's no love, there's no fruit. There's no fruit. You'll be barren. But if, uh, if uh, you know, when you, have, when you have four little boys, you know, I had four little boys. Even my dog is a boy. And uh, it's hard to keep things real neat. You know, I'm, an, I'm by nature a neat, orderly person. I gave up. I gave up after, after a while. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, but there was love in our home. There was love in our home, and as a result, uh, our boys and our dog know that we love them, <laughs> right? And so that cherishes them, so that we can nourish them uh, with something of Christ. Then a school. The church is a school where you learn something. Saints, I don't know about you, but I can remember all my elementary school teachers. I can remember my kindergarten teacher. I can tell you their names. I can tell you, I, I remember the mean ones, and I remember the ones who love me. The ones who love me are the ones who I learned the best up from. And at my dad's funeral, uh, my first grade teacher came in the door. I was shocked. I thought she had gone to be with the Lord. But uh, here she is, she's my first grade teacher. And I, it was like I shrunk back down to first grade size again. I just went, I said, Mrs. Anderson, Mrs. Anderson. She went, Eddie. <laughs> now, don't call me Eddie. Only, only a few people, only a few people can do that. But she loved me as a first grader, so she never forgot me. I never forgot her. And she was a sister in the Lord, so... Uh, that meant a lot. We need to have the Father's loving and forgiving heart, the Savior's shepherding and seeking spirit. So C says, Christ came not as a judge, but as a physician to heal, 
recover, enliven, and save the lepers, paralytics, the fever-ridden, the demon-possessed, those ill with all kinds of diseases, despised tax collectors and sinners, that they might become reconstituted to become people of his heavenly kingdom. To become people of his heavenly kingdom. You know, there's a story here in Matthew 8, 5 through 13, of a centurion whose servant was lying in a house paralyzed, terribly tormented. And uh, the Lord said to the centurion, he said, I will come. I'll come and heal him. It says, but the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not fit for you to enter under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. And listen to what he said. He said, for I also am a man under authority. Now, according to our concept, we would have said, I also am a man of authority. But he said, I'm a man under authority. So he recognized that as a man, the Lord Jesus was a man under God's authority. And that's why he had the power that he had. So he said, I also am a man under authority. Having, uh, it says, having soldiers under me. The reason why he had soldiers under him was because he was under someone. You see, the, the fact that the Lord Jesus is under God the Father means that many, many of the angels, all of the good angels are under him. You see, you see this? And he says, I say to this one, go, and he goes, another come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. It says, now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed, truly I say to you, with no one in Israel have I found such great faith. Have I found such great faith? And Jesus said to the centurion, go, as you have believed, so it be done to you, so be it done to you. And his servant was healed in that very hour, in that very hour. It's a marvelous story. Okay, D says, D says, uh, now, before we come to D, uh, I'd like to read these verses to you from Matthew 9, 12 and 13. You have to go back to verse 11 first. In verse 11, uh, in verse 11, the disciples were asked this question. They were asked this question. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when the Lord heard this, he said, those who are strong have no need of a, of a, of a physician. Saints, we are not strong. We have need of a physician. He says, those who are strong have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are ill. And he says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. I came to call sinners. Now, D says, he had to pass through Samaria, purposely detouring to Sychar to gain one immoral woman. Saints, our Christ is the detouring Savior. Just remember that when you're taking care of someone. To take care of someone means that you have to go out of your way to take care of them. It means that you have to make a detour to take care of them. He is the detouring Savior. He's the detouring Savior. To gain one immoral woman, cherishing her by asking her to give him something to drink, that he might nourish her with the flowing triune God 
as the water of life, as the water of life. So he asked her to give him something to drink. This cherished her because she was a Samaritan, and the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. So for her to, him to even talk to her was a cherishing. And it was so that he could nourish her with the flowing triune God as the water of life. And Jesus said to her, he said, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall by no means thirst forever. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. So this is the flowing triune God. This is the Father as the fountain, the Son as the spring. He's the emergence of life. He's the manifestation of life. He's the expression of life. This is the Spirit as the river of life. And the triune God flows into eternal life. And that Greek word for into means to become. So by the triune God flowing in us, through us, out of us, saturating us, we become the totality of eternal life, which is the new Jerusalem. Which is the new Jerusalem. And then, uh, you know, you remember in this story, uh, the, the Samaritan woman, she said, I want to drink of this water. I want to drink of this water. And then the Lord said, go, call your husband and come here. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you've well said you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you're living with is not your husband. And so you know what she said? She said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> it was a good perception. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she changed the subject to worship. You know, our fathers say on this mountain we should worship. You say in Jerusalem is the place to worship. He said the hour is coming and now is when those who worship the, the Father will worship him in their spirit. Amen. And in truthfulness. And in truthfulness. So the age changed to worship the Father in the spirit. In the spirit. Eventually, she went to the village, and we even have a song, a young people's song, and this: come see a man who told me whatever I did, right? Is this not the Christ? And uh, she went to the village and told the villagers this. The whole village came out and got saved. The whole village came out. Now, if that was me, I would have gone to the village first and put up placards and said, God is here at Jacob's well. Come and hear him give a message. But he didn't do that. He went to one immoral woman. And through that immoral woman, he got a whole village saved. Now, uh, saints, if we look in the scriptures, most of the accounts of the Lord saving people are one by one. Or one on one. One person at a time. And uh, it's really quite remarkable that uh, the scriptures are written in this way. Okay, he says, as the one without sin... He did not condemn the adulterous woman, but cherished her for the forgiveness of her sins judicially and for the setting free from her sins organically. So he cherished her. And you remember, uh, he was teaching. The scribes and Pharisees came, interrupted his teaching. He said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. They set her in the midst. Can you imagine? You're having a meeting. And he, they set this woman in the midst of the meeting. Say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. He said, teacher, uh, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. 
What do you say? What do you say? It says, but they said this to tempt him so that they might have reason to accuse him. Now, they all had stones in their hands. The only one who didn't have a stone in his hand was the one who was sinless. All the sinners had stones in their hands. The one who was sinless had no stone in his hand. Isn't that remarkable? So it says, Jesus stooped down and rolled with his finger on the ground. They persisted in questioning him. He stood up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and rode on the ground. And when they heard that, they went out one by one, beginning with the older ones. That's significant, beginning with the older ones, because the older ones realize they have more realization of their sinfulness. So beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman stood where she was in the midst. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Isn't that wonderful? What a wonderful story that is. And in John 8:32, he says, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then in John 8, 36, he says, If therefore the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Then F says, He went to Jericho just to visit and gain one person. Here's this matter of one person. Saints, let's gain one person at a time. A chief tax collector. And his preaching was a shepherding. His preaching was a shepherding. We know that when he came, when he was passing through Jericho, well, let me just say this. In the previous chapter, in Luke 18, or if you look in other accounts of this, uh, in the previous chapter, the Lord said this. He said, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of the heavens. And then Peter and the, and the disciples, he said, well, who can be saved then, Lord? He said, with men this is impossible, with God, all things are possible. Then in the next chapter, it talks about Zacchaeus, and it uses these words, and he was rich. And he was rich. So the Lord has a way. All of us are camels. He has a way of spinning us into thin thread and spinning us through the eye of a needle into the kingdom of the heavens. What's impossible with man is possible with God. So we know Zacchaeus climbed up in a sycamore tree because he wanted to see the Lord Jesus. He was short, so he needed, he, needed a, he needed help to see the Lord. And the Lord said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay in your house. Then he said, today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Now Jesus... He cherished the parents by laying his hands on their children, on their children. When I read this in the past, I always considered he cherished the children. And he did cherish the children. But he cherished the parents by laying his hand on their children. Uh, can you imagine how the parents felt? Because it says the little children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. The disciples rebuked the parents. And so, um, 
the Lord said this. He said, uh, he said, allow the little children and do not prevent them from coming to me. For of such is the kingdom of the heavens. For of such is the kingdom of heavens. So we cherish the parents by laying his hands on their children. Sometimes the best way you can cherish me or we can cherish one another is by taking care of one another's children. By taking care of one another's children. You know, I got so exposed one time. Uh, you know, the, the disciples here, they were like the secret service, you know. Uh, you know, here comes the kids. Rebuke them. Keep them away from the Lord Jesus, you know. And uh, when I was in Irving, I used to help Brother Lee with his bag uh, come to the front row. And um, uh, one time we were walking up. And there were a bunch of young people in the front. And I didn't know what they were doing. You know, they were declaring something, speaking something. And in my heart, I was judging them. I was condemning them. I was saying, what are these people doing? What are these young people doing? Here I am. I'm trying to get Brother Lee to his chair. It's not easy for him to get to his chair. You know, we had to go through, wade through them. And, and I was just, uh, I was just, what is going on here? You know, finally we got to our chairs, uh, Brother Lee and I, and Brother Lee looked behind him and he said, what are these young people doing? And, uh, and the brother said to Brother Lee, he says, oh, Brother Lee, they memorized the footnote of yours and they're reciting it to the whole congregation. He said, really? That's wonderful. He said, Ed, I want you to go downstairs and get recovery versions for each one of them. So as I was going downstairs, I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I was like, I was like Peter, you know, when you go fishing for that coin, you know what I mean? Brother Lee's heart was so broad. I, I learned a lesson uh, that day. I learned a, I hope I learned my lesson that day in life, in life. Now, H says, the first one saved by Christ through his crucifixion was a robber sentenced to death. We talked about this. I says, the Lord's commissioning Peter to feed his lambs and shepherd his sheep was to incorporate the apostolic ministry with his heavenly ministry to take care of God's flock, which is the church that issues in the body of Christ. One says, in his heavenly ministry, Christ as the high priest with a golden girdle on his breast is cherishing and nourishing the churches. So he is cherishing and nourishing the churches. He's walking among the golden lampstands. He has a golden girdle around his breast. The breast signifies love. The golden girdle signifies energy. So this is this is his divine energy exercised and motivated by his love to nourish the churches. Then two says in his heavenly ministry, Christ as the great shepherd of the sheep. Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep to consummate the new Jerusalem according to God's eternal covenant. Okay, then we come to Paul in Roman numeral 2. Roman numeral 2 says we need to shepherd people according to the pattern of the Apostle Paul as a good shepherd taking care of God's flock. Taking care of God's flock. Then A says Paul shepherded the saints as a nursing mother and an exhorting father. So all of us need to be nursing mothers. All of us need to be exhorting fathers. A nursing mother, when you're a nursing mother, that baby is very little, very fragile. Uh, 
when 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 my grand one of my grandsons was born, uh, my son and daughter-in-law said said wanted me to hold him, and I was just, you know, I had four boys and I held them, but I was just scared to death to hold that boy, because if if you know you don't want to drop him, you don't want to drop him. So I was just anyway I did hold him. You know I was, you know, calling on the Lord. Uh, but this is how we need to be with the new ones. We need to be nursing mothers. Nursing mothers. Sometimes we have a new one and we get the fire hydrant out. You know, it's like a little plant. And we get the fire hydrant of God's economy out. We say, God's economy. You know, the new Jerusalem. The consummated spirit. And when we're done, the plant's blown away. The plant's blown away. When all we needed to do was take a little dropper and put some water on that plant. Then we're like a nursing mother and we're like an exhorting father. Nursing mother is mainly for cherishing and, and, and nourishing, you could say, but mainly for cherishing. And exhorting father is mainly for nourishing, for nourishing. You know, uh, it's amazing. With all of my boys, I wanted to get them to say, Dada, Dada, Daddy. And so, uh, when I would babysit to him, I would go, Daddy, Daddy. They would go, Mommy, Mommy. <laughs> and so I just couldn't, I couldn't win. I couldn't win. Eventually they said, Daddy. I don't know how old they were when they said it, but they said, Daddy. But there's something for, uh, with a nursing mother that uh, the child uh, has an affinity toward a nursing mother and an exhorting father, too. The father needs to come in sometimes with discipline and with nourishment. Now, B says, Paul shepherded the saints in Ephesus by teaching them publicly and from house to house, and by admonishing each one of them with tears, even for as long as three years, declaring to them all the counsel of God. So we need to teach publicly. We need to go in the homes of the saints. We need to open up our homes and we need to admonish each one with tears, with tears. Saints, sometimes a one-on-one -on -one contact with a saint is better than ten messages. It's better than ten messages. So we need to contact people one by one, one by one. Okay, now we covered C. I'll just read it to you. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 3, reveals that Paul wrote, Living Letters of Christ with the life-giving spirit as the essence. One says, because the believers are a letter of Christ, they are also the letter inscribed in the heart of the apostles. Today, while we are ministering Christ to others, Christ is simultaneously written in the one to whom we are ministering and also in us. This means that we can never forget those to whom we have ministered Christ. The one writing produces two original copies and involves two hearts becoming one. We, we covered this in a previous message. Okay, D says, Paul had an intimate concern for the believers. He said, you are in our hearts. And then he said, make room for us. We want to be in your hearts. So he had an intimate concern for the believers. He says, he came down to the weak one's level so that he could gain them. He said, to the weak, I became weak, that I might gain the weak. So we need to come down to the weak one's level, 
that we might gain them. F says, he was willing to spend what he had, referring to his possessions, and to spend what he was, referring to his being, for the sake of the saints. So he said, I will most gladly spend and be spent on behalf of your souls, even though loving you more, I'm loved less. In other words, if you love me less, I'm just going to love you more. And I will spend what I have, I will spend my material possessions on you, and I will spend my being on you for the building up of the church as the body of Christ. G says, he was a drink offering, one with Christ as the wine producer, as the wine producer, sacrificing himself for others' enjoyment of Christ. In Judges 9.13, it says, But the vine said, Shall I leave my new wine, which cheers God and men, and go to wave over the trees? This is a parable that Jotham spoke, and I won't, I won't get into that parable. But the point is this. Saints, we need to enjoy the Lord as our new wine. He's our invigorating life. He's our cheering love. And when, we, when we're cheered by him in his presence, then we can cheer God and we can cheer man. We can cheer man. Ages, he was a minister of the Spirit to honor God by being filled with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit for his glory, and to honor man by ministering the Spirit to them for their supply. For their supply. Now, I, we already covered... Paul indicated in his teaching that the church is a home to raise up people, a hospital to heal and recover them, and a school to teach and edify them. Jay says, Paul revealed that love is the most excellent way for us to be anything and to do anything for the building up of the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1, he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And then at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, I show to you a most excellent way. And then he talks about love. And he says, if I speak without love, I'm like sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Those are sounds without life because you don't love the Lord and you don't love the brothers and sisters. He says, love never falls away, which means love survives everything. Love survives everything. Now, finally, let's stand up and read Roman numeral 3 all together, those of us who can. I hope that there will be a genuine revival among us by our receiving the burden of shepherding. If all the churches receive this teaching to participate in Christ's wonderful shepherding, there will be a big revival in the recovery. Okay, very good. Let's pray with our neighbor for a minute or so, and then we can have lots of testimony.